Hello and good afternoon. Welcome back. We are in the story chapter six entitled Wandering. I'm sure none of you have ever felt like you are wandering through this world. No, I think it's safe to say that we all have at some point in time or another wondering which direction that we are going, where we are supposed to be going. And I think uh, we could probably say the same thing for the Hebrews. Uh, But really, it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Uh, It's a perspective of who's in charge, who's leading us, who's guiding us. And if we're going the way that he wants us to go, regardless of whether or not we think we're going in the right direction, right? Isn't it all about Christ? Isn't it all about what God wants us to do and where he is bringing us? Because we know that he knows what's best for us. So that's kind of where we're going today. We're talking about perspective. And sometimes we tend to focus on our perspective and how we think things should be. But what about God's perspective? Well, Numbers chapter 11 is going to be the focus of our time uh, for the most part. But I'd like to start off by uh, quoting from Max Lucado's In the Eye of the Storm. It's a a great kind of illustration here on perspective. And I'm not going to quote it, but I'm just going to abbreviate it for you a little bit. Uh, There was an individual who was an old man, extremely poor, uh, but owns the most beautiful horse in all the land, right? And people offer to pay this man a great amount of wealth for this noble steed. And he turns him down. He says, no, I want to keep the horse for myself. And people think he's being ridiculous. Look, you don't have much. We'll give you money for this horse. You don't know something could happen to it. And then what are you going to have to show for it? And he replies by saying, you don't really know what's in store for the future. You only know that this horse belongs to me. It's my choice. I'm making it. The rest we leave up to God. People can't believe it, right? Well, one day the horse actually leaves. It's gone. Nowhere to be found. People call up the old man, right? Trying to to criticize him. Trying to say their old, uh, I told you so's. And... um, He's not going to have any of it. He says, look, you don't know if this is good or bad yet. We just know that I owned a horse. He's no longer here. The rest we leave up to God. One day, the horse came back. The horse came back and brought with him four unbroken horses. I mean, the man's luck has certainly changed, right? And so the people call the man again. They say, wow, you were absolutely right with your perspective. Look, that was a whole blessing that happened with the horse. Now you have so much. And the man replied, well, you don't really know that yet either. All you know is that I had a horse that ran away. It came back. There's four horses now. Whether it's good or bad, we'll have to see. But we just leave it up to God. He knows what's going to happen. Well, One day, the old man's son was trying to break one of those new horses. And the end result was that son broke his leg. So then the people called again. Wow, your understanding and perspective is phenomenal. You're right. This ended up being a bad thing after all. And he said, no, you don't know that yet. You just know that my son, who was healthy, now has a broken bone. We leave the rest up to God. Sure enough, the time came for the country to go to war. And every son, every child uh, that was in the area had to go off to war, except for the old man's son. It didn't have to go because he had a broken leg. And so the people respond and say, finally, we get it. We just, we don't know what's going to happen. But in the end, this is a good result for you. Your son doesn't have to go to war. He says, no, you still don't understand it. 
We don't know what the next steps are. All we know is that my son does not have to go to war. I'm thankful for that, but whether it's good or bad, well, we leave the rest up to God. And I think that's a really good perspective, isn't it? I mean, yes, we can be thankful. In fact, the scriptures say we should be thankful in all circumstances, right? But at the same time, at the end of the day, who's the one that is in charge of everything? Who's the one that we have to trust in? We put everything in his hands, good or bad, don't we? Now, as we approach this text, we have to look at it from different perspectives as well. Uh, The first perspective we're going to look at is from maybe the average Hebrew. I don't know what that means or who that might be. But you could kind of picture the change happening. Maybe picture an older gentleman, one that remembers Egypt or thinks that he remembers Egypt accurately. Picture him uh, stooping down and talking to one of the younger children. Oh, you should have seen it. Back when we had Egypt, it was it was tough. It was hard work. Oh, but at the end of the day, we had the meat. We could sit around a fire and, and roast all of the meat that we wanted to. We could have it in between our teeth and you didn't have to worry about the flavor because we had the leeks, we had the garlic, we had anything that we wanted that we could put on top of it. Yes, it was hard work and we were enslaved, right? And maybe they'd conveniently leave that out, but we could eat whatever we wanted (laughs) as if that was the most important thing. (laughs) You could picture them kind of reminiscing. It was hard work, but we could jump in the water at the end of the day and cool off, see? But all this is, all that was much better than what we have now, see? Here, all we have is what? This manna. You can almost picture them grabbing the manna that might be in front of them or what was on the ground and crumbling it in their hands as it falls to the ground. This gift from God, this gift that they're getting tired of. See, this is the problem is that they can only look at what's happening to them through their past experiences and what they're going through now. They can't look at their journey through the eyes of faith. At least they're having a hard time doing that. They're hungry. They're starving. They want more out of life than what they're seeing. But the question is, are they, are, are they going to trust God that he is going to be giving them more than what they can see? That he's going to keep his word and actually give them a land that is going to be flowing with milk and honey. But see, they can't see that right now. They can only think of what they don't have. They don't have the cucumbers. They don't have the melons and the leeks and the onions and the meat. So when it comes to their belly, it looks like they had more in Egypt. But conveniently, they're forgetting what they didn't have in Egypt. They didn't have freedom. They didn't have their conversations with God. They were enslaved. They were working somebody else's land. And see, this is really, really, this is, excuse me, this is really where it gets troubling for them. Is that as they're crying out to God, they are crying out for something different, a different direction, a different vision. In fact, what they then say is after crying out to God, and that by itself is okay. Let's remember that. It's okay to cry out to God. It's okay to dump everything that we're going through on him. But here's the problem is that now they're wanting God, or they're really, they're wanting to go back on what God's plan is. 
God, this plan isn't working. Give us new leadership. We want a different leader because we want to go back to Egypt. They're telling God that his plan is no good. They're basically saying that being enslaved in Egypt is better than being free with God in control. Maybe another way of looking at it. Being under the care of the gods of the Egyptians is better than being under the care of the God of Israel. Yeah, see, these are some fighting words that are being presented here. And that's why when they finally do get the meat, God is going to also bring a plague upon them as well. Look, he told them that he is going to do something. And God is one who keeps his word. And this isn't going to be something that they are soon going to forget. It happens, doesn't it? Where sometimes you can only see life through what you think it should be. And when it doesn't turn out that way, you kind of want to complain. I've been there. Haven't you? If only I had meat, if only I had something better to eat, if only I had key lime pie right now. That might sound silly, but maybe maybe we've said things like, oh, if only I could eat whatever I wanted without worrying about the health benefits. If only I could eat whatever I wanted and lose weight and be healthy. That would make me happy. That would be my spice in life. I would never complain. And eh, we know that's not true, right? <laughs> or, hey, God, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. Help me to pick those right Powerball numbers and then I will be at peace. I'll never ask for anything again, right? I mean, aren't you supposed to be blessing me? I'll even give 10% to the church. <laughs> right? So when things don't go our way, we wonder if we really are having the blessings of God. God, all I need is a bride or a groom, a child, then I'll have a perfect peace. Wait a second. Isn't he the prince of peace? Aren't we already in good hands? We don't necessarily need all of the money or we don't need the life that we think we should have or need to have in order for things to be perfect, in order for things to be the promised land that we think it should be. Well, that's just one perspective, right? That's amazing how it happens, though. God says, I'm going to give them some meat, all right. It's coming. In fact, it's going to be so much meat that they're going to be so sick of it. They're going to be eating meat for a month. But this kind of shows Moses' perspective, how it's, it's a little off as well. He said, God, how can this be? If you were to take all of our flocks and you were to butcher them all. That wouldn't be enough meat for this group. That's where God says something very interesting. He says, he says, is my arm so short that I can't do such a thing? And what's he basically telling Moses? Do you think I'm unable to do what I said I'm going to do? I mean, this really is ridiculous when you think about it. Where they've been, already on this short journey, how they've been able to see the mighty, powerful arm of God at work with the Egyptians. Something that they thought would have been absolutely impossible, but there they are. They're free. They're no longer slaves. So if God says he's going to do something, you'd think they'd learn that he's going to do it. But how about you? You have something going on in your life or maybe, maybe you've been doubting the hand of God. Is God's arm so short 
that he can't be in the midst of your struggle as well? God, I know I'm supposed to give, but at the same time, wouldn't it be better if I just keep it for myself? I'll be able to buy that car quicker, or I'll be able to get out of debt faster. I'll be able to buy that home sooner than, than I could if I was to give my money away. Wait a second, is God's arm so small that he can't take care of you while you are committing your life to him with basically the stuff that is his already anyway? Is God's arm so short? Is his arm so short that you have to worry about every single thing that is not in your control, right? Do you think that his arm is so short that he can't actually help you with everything that's going on in your life that you have to worry about it, fret about it, risk your health because you think that you're the only one that's able to handle your problem when he's the God of the universe? Is God's arm so short that he can't use his word to actually be present in your life? Is that why that we don't pick it up and read it? learn from it, and listen to it because we have other things that we have to do in order to make our life better? Is God's arm so short that he can't do such a thing? Is his presence so far out there that there's no reason to come to church and worship because there are so many things that you have to do in order for your life to be right? But is his arm so short that he actually can't be present there and bless you while you're there and use you to be a blessing to others? See, let's be honest, when it comes to these commandments, and this might be going back to last week, but when it comes to doing what we know we're supposed to do and how God has created us to be, wouldn't we agree that oftentimes this happens because we're having a hard time trusting him? We almost think that maybe he can't do what he says he's going to do. And if not that, we might think that we know how our life should run better than God's. Now, we really should look at Moses' perspective a, a little bit more thoroughly. Because he does some complaining, too, in this chapter as well. He, he cries out to God. But there is a difference in the way that Moses cries out to God and the way that the rest of the Hebrews cry out. Even if Moses is extreme, which I'm not sure if he is, I've never had to worry about one million or two million people. That's it's a lot to, to worry about. It's a lot of stress. But what Moses does when he cries out to the Lord is he asks for help and he does not ask for Egypt. See the difference there? He's not saying that God's plan is bad. He is asking for help in this plan that God is creating. Lord, these are your people, not mine. Please help me. This is what's great. Said he does. He does. He gets a group of elders, a group of men together. He brings them up on the mountain. They feast. They have a great time. And then Moses sees that the, the spirit is resting upon all of these men in such a powerful way. In fact, two of the individuals who aren't in the camp at the time start prophesying too. I don't know if they did an RSVP or whatever, but they're outside the camp and they start prophesying. In fact, we get word of this and this young boy comes running to Joshua and says, there's other people that are speaking the word of God. Joshua comes to Moses. He's like, hey, uh, other people are doing your job. And what does Moses say? Oh, this is great. He says, oh, if all God's people were to prophesy and have the spirit rest upon them, 
see, again, he's underestimating the arm of God. Because isn't that exactly what's going to happen? The arm of God is so strong and so mighty that they are going to see it in full display. Yes, as they go forward into the promised land and are able to defeat these giants, so to speak. But even more than that, we see what the strong, mighty arm of God does when he reaches into creation to become a part of it. And yes, people will look at this Jesus, the strong arm of God with the wrong perspective. You'll have the Pharisees who would say that this is not the Messiah that they are looking for. You'll have the crowd asking for him to be nailed to the cross because he's a fraud. You'll have the Greeks who are willing to do it because after all, it's going to show that this king of the Jews is weak for a weak people. But the strong arm of God is doing exactly what he's going to do, what he's supposed to do. And there hanging on the cross, (laughs) Jesus doesn't ask for Egypt. He doesn't ask for a different plan. Instead, he looks out over the world and looks over all of you and me too throughout all time. And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them because that's the plan. That's what this is all about. This is the strong arm of God to bring his people back into a relationship with him. And he does. He's crucified, died, and was buried, but is raised. Of course, we know of the Easter victory, but what happens after his ascension? He sends the Spirit upon the apostles. And then he actually sends the Spirit onto you and me. For the scriptures say, if you're able to call upon Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is at work in you. So the arm of God is still so strong and so mighty that all of us are able to proclaim his good work. He is still amongst his people. And so friends, I know it can be tough at times. Looking forward in faith. Sometimes we're tempted to look at where we are in the wilderness and in the wandering and we're trying to figure it out. Wondering what God is doing. And maybe at times we're we're even going to question where he's bringing us, thinking that we might know better. But in the end, let's remember those words from that old man in our story at the beginning. Whether it's good or bad, we, we might not fully get. But we leave it up to God. And in the strong arm of God, Jesus Christ, we know that this God is a God that we can trust. We can trust him in the midst of the wandering because we know that promised land is going to be better than anything we could ever picture, imagine, or think above our own. Yes, good or bad, we do not know, but the rest we can leave up to God. Amen.